Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of studies entitled Mission Impossible, and we will be spending the remaining part of October and through into November focusing on the life of Moses. And today, we come to God calling Moses at the far side of the desert in Midian. And so, we're beginning at chapter 3, at verse 1. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you will know that God miraculously intervened in the preservation of Moses' life as a young child at three months old. And he lived with his mom and dad till he was around eight or nine years old. And then he went to live in Pharaoh's palace. He, of course, eventually became a prince of Egypt. But when he was 40 years old, he took a man's life and then subsequently had to flee for his own life. And since then, he spent 40 years in the desert in Midian looking after sheep. So, 80 years have passed since this time last Sunday. So, that will give you a little of the context of, of where we're going. And so, Moses, as a mature man, is about to have a day that will live in his memory for a long time. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Most of us, I think, have a few days in our lives that are special days. We look back with great fondness and affection and for some of us, it was the day we went to college. For others, it was when we graduated high school. For some, perhaps, it was your 21st birthday or the day you started a new job or moved into your own apartment. For others, it may be the day you retired or the day your firstborn was born. But each of us have those memorable days. And the passage we are coming to this morning would be a memorable day for Moses. 
It would be a day he would simply never forget. And it had such an impact on his life that in the years and years still to come, Moses would look back on that day and say, that was the day when God called me to himself. And that was the day that impacted and influenced and shaped his character to become the great emancipator of the people of Israel. And so, for obvious reasons, Exodus chapter 3, I think, has a special place, at least in our minds and hearts for most of us, because it is a remarkable thing to see God calling Moses. Now, if you were with us last Sunday morning, you will know that the context of the passage is important. Moses, of course, was born in Egypt. He was a Hebrew baby. In those days, baby girls were allowed to live, but baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile. And so, sadly, infanticide was a major threat in the life of the Hebrew people. They were slaves who were hated, misused, misused, maligned, and they were considered absolutely of no importance whatsoever. And as you know, Moses was found in the Nile by Pharaoh, one of Pharaoh's daughters. She handed him over to his own mother to look after, and around eight or nine, he moved into the palace. And during those years when he dwelt in the palace, he would be exposed to the rigor and the education of the Egyptians. He would be taught languages and science and astronomy and maths and military tactics. He would be taught leadership skills. And Moses, over the next 40 years, became, for all intents and purposes, a prince of Egypt. He had power and influence and wealth. But during that period, Moses, I think like most of us, when we get to a certain age, look back and wonder, where did we come from? What was my great-grandfather like and his great-grandfather? And what is my heritage and my background? And Moses, in remembering his natural parents, of course, became interested in the Hebrew people. And the more he became interested in them, he would go and visit them, and he would become compassionate towards them. And he recognized the slum dwellings they were living in. He recognized that they were living in abject poverty and had very little hope for their future. And he became, I think, stirred inside. And on one occasion, he went to see the Hebrew people, and he saw an Egyptian misusing and beating a Hebrew, and he intervened. And he intervened so passionately that his anger overflowed, and he killed the Egyptian. The next day, it all came to light. Pharaoh heard of it, was after Moses, in fact, and would have taken his life. And Moses ran from the capital, and he ran to the far side of the desert, the place called Midian. And there he married a young lady. She was the daughter of the high priest of Midian, and he looked after his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. 
That gives you a sense of all that was going on in Moses' life. But we also know this, that God had a hand on Moses. And I am fairly convinced that during those 40 years, God was causing Moses to ask those deep, penetrating, searching questions that make us uncomfortable. And he's beginning to pull away the layers and telling him, Moses, I'm not finished with you, but you need to come to terms with what you have done. And you need to come to terms with your past. And you cannot simply ignore it. You recognize it. You learn from it. But you refuse to live back then. And please hear this. And what I'm about to say will probably surprise you, will sound ridiculous to say, but let me say it. And if you're taking notes this morning, write it down. God never forgives sin. God never forgives sin. He forgives people. He forgives people. Sin is not some abstract concept up there, but it is an act that we have been involved in. Sometimes it is so bad that it destroys everything it comes into contact with. It is so toxic that it often spills over and hurts everyone in its proximity. And it's not an abstract concept. It begins and ends with us. And He forgives us. He forgives us. That's the point of having a Savior. He forgives us even though we have sinned, even though we have wandered from Him, even though we knew it was wrong and still went ahead. And here He is dealing with Moses and saying, Moses, let's talk. Moses, let's deal with your past. Let's go deep. Moses, I have no interest in cosmetic surgery. I'm interested in radical surgery that is invasive and life-changing. And during those 40 years, here was God faithfully at work, shaping and molding and fashioning Moses to be the man he was calling him to be. And then it happened. In the silence of obscurity, in the far end of the desert, Moses woke up to an ordinary, everyday kind of a day, routine, mundane. The night before, as he lay out under the skies, there was no meteor shower to suggest that God was about to change him forever. There's no dream in the middle of the night, no angelic appearances, no prophet getting alongside him, nothing, nothing. But over to one side, 
was a burning bush. And Moses had seen a burning bush before, I imagine. At least in my own mind, I imagine that sometimes in the desert it will get so warm that things will self-combust. Or shrubbery will catch fire after a lightning strike. Or a bush catch fire after lightning. But Moses has lived long enough to know that it will, of course, peter out. It will just turn to ash. There will be nothing there. But it doesn't. And he kind of looks over again and looks over again and thinks, huh, what is going on? And notice what the passage says in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Now, in the last 40 years, God has not revealed himself to Moses even once. Not even once. Heaven was silent. There was nothing happening. Moses was settling for an everyday life of a shepherd. And now suddenly God is at work in a spectacular fashion and Moses is going over to say, what is going on? And notice what happens. As he moved towards the bush, God called to him from within the bush and he calls him, Moses, Moses. Do you understand the significance of that? I think we know the story so well, the temptation is to just rush on past it. He calls him by his name. If tomorrow morning you have business with the federal government and social security department, the first thing they are going to ask you is, what are the last four numbers of your social security number? Now, I get into trouble because I did not grow up with an American social security number, and I have not memorized it. And so, when I'm on the phone and I say, excuse me a minute while I look it up, they kind of say, you don't know it? And I say, hold on, I'll get it. You don't know it. Hold on. My name, my address, my date of birth means nothing to the social security people. Nothing. They want the social security number. If tonight you are in Atlanta airport and you're traveling overseas, your social security number doesn't matter. They're interested in your passport. Your name, your picture, yeah, they're mildly interested, but it is your passport number they want to be absolutely certain. And the moment you were born, the medical staff came to see you and they began to fill out the paperwork. In those early moments, they are going to say to you, what is this child's name? What is this child's name? They don't write down your chemical co as a chemical compound and what that's like. They don't look at you and say, hmm, economically, I think their worth and value is X. They want to know your name because name is supremely you. Supremely you. When God calls, he calls you by name. He reaches out. He says, Craig. And he reaches out and he says, Rip. And he reaches out and he says, Harry. And he reaches out and he says, Susan. 
And he says, Samuel. And he reaches out and he says, Alec and Mary John. And he knows you by name. By name. And please hear this. Before the foundation of the world, before anything else was made, he set his love and affection upon you, and he will never treat you as a number. He will always treat you as one of his because he loves you. There is no inherent value and worth and significance in a number or a passport or your Netflix password or the code for your phone. He's interested in you, heart and mind and soul, to nurture you and nourish you and to enable you to grow deeper in your appreciation of Him and in your walk with Him and come to that place of absolute worship and adoration and love. That's why He calls us by name. Moses. Moses. That's what's going on here. And in that call, he is saying, Moses, I have plans for you, and you cannot begin to imagine what I have in store. Moses, what I'm about to call you to do seems impossible. It seems ridiculous. No one would ask you to do this, but Moses, that is exactly what I'm calling you to do. And more importantly, it's what I'm calling you to be to be. Moses, what is it going to be? Is it going to be a life of caution or a life of courage? The life you have now will be easier than the one I'm calling you to, but it will never, ever, ever be better. The life you have now will be easier, but never more significant. Easier, but never more fulfilling. Moses, I have my hand upon you. And Moses, today is the day when you come to terms with your past. This is a day of forgiveness and renewal and refreshment and a new beginning. Moses, I'm calling you. And notice what he says next. He says, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to be my leader. But in fact, that's not what he says next, is it? It's not what the passage tells us. That's not what he says next, because there's one more thing still to be settled, still to be settled. Notice what is going on. He doesn't rush Moses to the pragmatic. He doesn't rush him to action. He doesn't rush him to do something. Moses, I am the God of your father, Abraham, 
and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am very God of very God, true light of all light, God in majestic transcendency has become imminent in grace, in holiness and righteousness. He is right there in all of his sovereign purposes and protection and provision. It is God in his unsurpassed glory. And let me ask you, and let me dig down deep and give you one of those searching, penetrating, invasive questions. Have you ever dared to pray, Father, I do not want to live the way I am living? Strengthen me, equip me, reveal yourself to me in all of your wonder and holiness and grace. Let me do business with you as you are. Would we dare do such a thing? What was Moses' response? He was afraid and he turned away. He could not look in God's direction. Because he understood at last whose presence he was in. And in the presence of a holy, righteous, gracious Father, the only thing we can do is to turn away, unsettled, unnerved. But please hear this. He never leaves us there. And so to Moses... He's saying, Moses, I'm calling you. Moses, I need you to understand that in the years ahead, you will go through days of crushing, bruising, battering storms, and you will look back to this day, and only on the basis of this day will you continue. That's where your power will come from. That's where your strength will come from. You felt my hand upon you and my call upon your life. And Moses, if you are ready, we can move forward because I will never send you on your own. Never. And the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, Moses gives one excuse after another, after another, after another. He says, Lord, I'm not the man. Lord, I am inarticulate. Lord, what if they don't believe me? Lord, who will I say sent me? If I was God, my word, I would have pressed that smite button long ago. Moses, what? have you no appreciation of what's going on here? Moses, come on. He wasn't 40 years old. He no longer thought he had the answer for everything and everyone. And the last 40 years had taught him humility. And as God begins to deal with Moses and explain what is taking place, Moses ultimately does what countless generations have done since. We have submitted 
and surrendered ourselves to his rule and reign in our lives. And at times, our future will be tearful. At times, we will be fearful for what it holds. At times, we will wonder why God would ask us to do the impossible. But he calls us and he equips us and he enables us because we are his and he calls us by name. And then he shapes us and forms us and grants to us intimacy with him. Was it impossible? Absolutely. Would it be hard? Of course. But it was a new day for Moses. And by the grace of God, whatever we are facing, both as individuals and families and corporately as a congregation, he is sufficient for our every need. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for your call upon our lives. Thank you that you call us by name and you do equip us for all the days to come. And may we faithfully follow you both in our individual walk with you and our families walk with you and as a church as we seek to impact and influence and shape the spiritual heart of this city. Father, bless us, please, for we ask it in Jesus' name.